0: Philippians 3 verse 1, here's what Paul said. He said, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I want to stop reading right there and I want to call your attention back to verse number 2. There's a word that pops up three times in verse 2. It's the word beware. Do you see it? Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And then, of course, verse number one, you can see what Paul's concern is. He said, His concern is there, what? Safety. He said, For me to repeat these things, to say them again, to write them again. He said, It's safe for you. For you, it is safe. And so we can easily discern. From verse 1 and verse 2, Paul is concerned with their safety and then he gives them some things to beware of, some things to look out for, things that obviously would do what? Would hinder their safety, right? And so uh, what is he warning them of? That's what we've got to figure out and that's what we've got to preach this morning. And the context tells us that he is warning us about the reality of false religion. Religion that is not true. And so just a very simple thought and a very simple title this morning, I want to preach on this thought, Beware of False Religion. Beware of False Religion. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we love You. We're thankful for the privilege we have to worship You like we have this morning and sing and and, and testify of Your good grace. And uh, Lord, we're so thankful for that. Father, I pray that you'd help us now as we look in these verses. Help us. Lord, give us discernment. Lord, I pray for those that are in here that have never been truly saved. Maybe they're blinded and bound this morning by false religion. Father, I pray that you would expose it. I pray that you would expel it. Father, I pray, God, that you would exchange it, God, for true religion. And Father, I pray that you would save souls, save sinners, do what needs to be done And Father, we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor, we'll give you the glory for every single bit of it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you've been in church for any length of time at all, then you know that there are words and there are phrases that the preacher might use in the course of his message to indicate that he's almost done with his message, but how many of you know the preacher's lying? He not does, he doesn't mean it when he says words like "I'm almost done." He doesn't mean it. All right. When he says things like uh, uh, "just just one more point" or "just a little bit more," uh, listen. He, he's not lying necessarily, but he means well. But it just doesn't work out that way. Have you been in church a long enough time and long enough time not to get your hopes up when the preachers says, uh, finally. Well, that's how Paul starts this. Epi- he's right in the middle of his letter. He uh, went two chapters and he's, he says finally and he's got two more chapters. It's like the little boy that went to church with his grandfather and he didn't go to church uh, at all. His daddy didn't take him to church but his grandfather took him one time and, uh, and long story short, the preacher was getting in a big way and, and he took off his coat and the little boy says, granddaddy, what does that mean? He said, well, that means he's about to get to going, boy. And uh, well, then he loosed up his tie. And the boy says, Granddaddy, what, what does that mean right there? He says, well, he's really about to get going. He's about to shuck the corn right there. And then the preacher uh, rolled up his sleeves. And the boy says, man, what does that mean right there? And Granddaddy said, well, that means he's about to sure enough get in preaching gear right there. And then the preacher took off his watch and set it on the pulpit. And the boy says, what does that mean? Granddaddy said, not a thing. It doesn't mean anything at all. Amen. And that's how it usually is. But I want you to know when he says finally right here, he's not talking about that he's almost done because he's not almost done. He's only halfway through. But when he says finally, he's indicating the fact that he is coming to his final point. He's aiming at his final point of the letter. And what is that final point? Where well, he tells us right here. He said, Finally, my brethren, here it is. You're looking at verse one. He said, Rejoice in the Lord rejoice in the Lord. Now we've already noted that joy has been the overarching theme of this entire letter. It pops up joy and rejoice and joyful and all that. It's popped up so many times. Paul is in Roman custody, but he has joy. There are uh, 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 preachers that are other preachers that are running Paul down and talking bad about him while he's sitting in jail, but yet Paul is just happy. He's just joyful that Christ is being preached. Uh, he talks about it brings him joy when the church is in unity and they're in fellowship and they're operating together in one mind and in one accord. It's talking about joy. So he's talked about joy over and over and over and over again, but he really brings this theme of joy into focus when he adds this phrase. This is what we have not seen yet. He says rejoice And this little phrase right here in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He's going to say in verse number 3, Rejoice in Christ Jesus. He's going to say in chapter 4, verse number 4, we know this verse, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There is a focusing. There is a a narrowing down of this joy. This joy is in the Lord. He emphasizes. This joy, it's not just joy for the sake of joy. It's not just joy that comes uh, sporadically and erratically, but it is joy that has a source. It has its source in something. Actually, it has its source in someone. It's joy that has a subject. It is in the Lord. And that is actually going to be the banner of chapter 3 and chapter 4, because it looks like on the surface of verse number one that he just kind of throws it out there doesn't he he just says uh, rejoice in the Lord and then he starts talking about beware of dogs and beware of evil workers and so where is that rejoice in the Lord is it just some kind of a you know some kind of a Tourette's or something he's having or something rejoice in the Lord and then he's talking about false uh, teachers and false religion no 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 there is a there's a uh, uh, there's a method to the madness right here he seems to just kind of throw it out and then take a turn but that's Not the case. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are all about that phrase right there, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, now get this now, chapter 3 emphasizes the in the Lord part. Take that phrase, rejoice in the Lord, and cut it after the word rejoice. Rejoice and then in the Lord. Chapter 3 focuses on the in the Lord part. And then chapter 4 focuses on the rejoicing and what it means to rejoice practically and uh, and, and just uh, functionally speaking what it is to rejoice. But chapter 3 is all about making sure the fact this, that our boasting and our glorying is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not rejoice in ourselves. We do not rejoice in what we have done. We do not rejoice in what we could do uh, because Paul's going to go on this whole biographical sketch of his life before he met Jesus. And Paul rejoiced in all kind of things. He rejoiced in his pedigree. And he rejoiced in his education. And he rejoiced in his, uh, uh, in his heritage. And he rejoiced in, in who he was and what he had done and all the things. He had diplomas all on the wall. He was dipped dot in the wool. I mean, I mean, a Pharisee of the Pharisee knew which tribe he was from from the tribe of Benjamin. He had all this stuff going for circumcised the eighth day. He studied at the feet of the of the greatest uh, teacher of the law of his day, Gamaliel. And there he is. He said, but all those things, and I can't wait to get to that in a couple weeks. He said, all those things, he said, I count them as done that I may win Christ. He said, in order for me to get born again, he said, I had to take all the things that I rejoiced in, all the things that I was proud of, all the things that I was boasting in, and I had to put them in one pile And I had to count them as just a bunch of refuse, just a bunch of dung. You know what? We don't have to do a word study, do we? All right. Everybody knows what dung is. He said all of his diplomas, all of his degrees, all of his education, all of his heritage that he was trusting in to get him to heaven. He said, I put it all over here and I counted it all as nothing so that I could have Christ instead rejoice, yes, rejoice, yes, be happy, yes, let it out, amen, but make sure you're rejoicing in the right thing. You're rejoicing in the Lord. We're not getting up here and shouting about what we've done. We're not getting up here and shouting about all the things we've accomplished. We're not getting up here and shouting about our faithfulness. We're here to magnify and exalt and glorify what Jesus has done for us. Rejoice, yes, but make sure it's in the Lord. And here's the deal. That's not what false religion does. Every false religion on the face of this planet encourages you and expects you to rejoice in something you've done. you got to have something. You gotta have something to show. You gotta pass out some liturgy. You gotta knock on some doors. You gotta keep some commandments. You gotta spread your rug out and pray three times a day. You gotta do do something. Do some. There's only two religions in the world. That's it. Two. You ready? I know you think there's millions. I know you think, oh man, all these denominations, all these religions, all these things. No, nope, there's only two. Every single religion in the whole world can fall into two categories, and that is one, it is human achievement, or two, it is divine accomplishment. That are that is the only two categories at religion. It's either Jesus paid it all or it is I gotta pay it off. And that is absolutely it. It's either Jesus did it all and the work is done. When he said it is finished on Calvary, he really meant it. It's either that or it's I gotta do something to earn God's favor and to be saved. Amen. And though there's... Uh, so many around us—they don't—they're not necessarily rolling out carpets and praying to the east. They may not be peddling literature and peddling bicycles and and, and, and knocking on doors and all these. Things. They might not be doing that. But that good—that false religion of the good old boys club—it's exactly I got to do something because yeah, you going to heaven? I think so. What makes you think you're going to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. I I do this, you know, I don't beat my wife and I pay my bills and I don't kick the dog and I I don't, you know, I'm I'm nice to my kids and I, I give money to charity and I help old ladies cross the street and all that. Can I tell you what? That is human achievement right there. All that I don't care what you've done, you may not have the diplomas Paul had. You may not have the pedigree Paul had, but whatever you have that you're trusting in, other than the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you have to take it and you have to toss it aside and count it as trash. Because it never, ever, ever will get you. You won't even get a whiff of the kingdom of God. You won't get a whiff of heaven. Amen. That's exactly right. Amen. There's false religion and there's true religion. There is human achievement and there's divine accomplishment. There's what you do and what you're trying to do and there is what Jesus has already done. Paul is concerned, verse 1, with the safety of his readers. You know why? Because false religion will take you to hell. False religion will lead you astray. False religion will will, uh, 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 ruin your life. It's a poison. And and it may be wrapped up in something nice. It It may be in something that is tasty. It might be in something that's appealing. But if it's poisonous, it'll kill you. And religion has always appealed to man. There's something about religion that appeals to our flesh. We want to we be able to put our thumbs in our suspenders and say, I did it. I did something. I accomplished it. But can I tell you this thing of salvation by grace through faith, it is not of works. Why? Lest any man should what? What? boast. We can't be bragging. We can't be boasting. We cannot be glorying in our flesh and glorying in ourselves. Listen, that is not true salvation. True salvation, true religion is when you chunk all that aside and you fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your faith in what He's already done and all of your righteousness is filthy rags in your sight, but all of His righteousness becomes yours by faith. That is true salvation. Paul is concerned about the safety of his readers and he's concerned about their safety in two ways. Uh, He's trying to keep them safe from false religion by repetition and by recognition. And I want you to see that in this text. Those are the two ways he is trying to keep them safe. He says repetition. Do you see that in verse 1? He said to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He's repeating. What's he repeating? Well, that's the question, right? And you read different commentators and they'll say, some people say, well, he's repeating of the rejoice in the Lord or maybe he's speaking of what he was talking about in chapter number 2. But I I believe this with all my heart. I'm very convinced that what he's repeating is exactly what he's about to say in verse number 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Beware of those that are peddling false religion because he's trying to keep them safe and so he tells them to beware. It just naturally goes together. And then also verse 18 really confirms Convince me of that because he's warning them again. He said, "From many walk, verse 18, whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, I'm trying to tell you about people that I've already told you about before. So he's writing to them again. Repetition. Hey, listen, I know the things I'm preaching this morning. Listen, if you've been in church all your life, you've heard them over and over and over and over again. It's the grace of God. You can't get to heaven by works. You can't earn your way to heaven. Listen, good. People, there are none, there's none good, no, not one. Listen, you can live a, a quote-unquote good life and, and try to do everything right and be good in the eyes of this world and die and split hell wide open. Those truths right there, I know many of you, you've heard it over and over and over and over and over again but I'm here to tell you that is our message and it's going to be on repeat from this pulpit as long as I'm here amen we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and we're going to preach it over and over and over you know why because of the sinner it's a warning to them and to the saint it is a comfort to know that you didn't do anything to get it and you can't do anything to lose it amen you ain't going to do anything to keep. it's always been by grace you're saved by grace you're kept by grace we're 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 going home by grace, amen. It's the grace of God. That's why the gospel not just for sinners. The gospel is for us. Amen. And it needs to be repeated over and over and over. Preach the gospel to yourself and do it often. Remind yourself what Jesus did on the cross. Remind yourself it's not about you. Remind yourself it's not you taking yourself to heaven. Remind yourself He gets all the praise. He gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. And remind yourself often. Put it on repeat and let it play until we get to heaven one day. Amen. He said it's safe trying to keep you safe, so I'm going to preach these same things over and over. Listen, this crowd that's looking for something new, I was reading in Acts this past week about those Athenians, they're always, they want to hear a new thing, and they want to tell a new thing, they're always looking for something new, something that'll titillate the senses, something that will make you, you know, tingle uh, uh, on your neck, or something like that. Ooh, I never heard that before. Ooh, that's just amazing. Listen, I ain't worried about hearing something new, just give me that old, old story. Amen. Tell me how Jesus came, and He was born of a virgin, and He lived a sinless life and he died on a cross and then he got up on the third day. Just tell it to me over and over and over. Amen. I love it. I love it. You know why? It keeps me safe. It's keeping my family safe. It's keeping our church safe. From what? From a bunch of false religion and a bunch of false teaching and a bunch of false doctrine. Amen. That'll come in here and poison our church. Amen. So preach it often so don't next time the preacher gets up you say well, i've already heard that before i already know all that listen you just shut your stinking mouth and praise god that you get to hear it again it's keeping you safe amen amen Now i don't know if you got a stinking mouth or not i probably shouldn't have said that all right. and then he said recognition recognition Verse 2 and verse 3, that's exactly what it is. It's recognized. How do you recognize the false and how do you recognize the true? He describes them, verse 2. He describes verse 2, just right write down next to verse number 2, this is what I need to beware of. And right down next to verse number 3, this is what I need to belong to. Verse 2 is what we need to beware of. And verse 3 is what we need to belong to. And he mentions that here. Now, false religion is false religion no matter which time it transcends time. Listen, this is a long introduction. I got some points and we're going to hit them real quick and go home. All right, don't be discouraged. Finally, my brethren. All right, you ready? Finally. That make you feel better? You want to get Maddie come sit on the piano bench? Some of y'all, that makes you feel better sometimes. Y'all know that don't mean anything either around here. Miss Maddie, come to the piano. That don't mean anything either. False religion is false religion. It not matter if it's uh, 40 A.D., 50 A.D., or if it's 2022 A.D. False religion. But but in the context, what, what's in Paul's mind? We've got to know that. If we're going to apply this rightly, if we're going to rightly divide it, we got to know. Who, who Paul's talking about a certain group of people. He's talking about a specific group of people. And these are false teachers that Paul was warning his followers about. The text indicates it's those that would try to bring believers back under the bondage of the law, circumcision. Sometimes the Bible refers to them as Judaizers. If you want, if you want just a good definition, uh, throw up Acts 15.1 on there for me, Brother Garrett. Here's just a good definition of these Judaizers. There's certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Here's what these people were doing. These were Jews. And they trying to infiltrate these new Gentile converts who just got saved. They put their faith and trust in Jesus, right? And God gave them the Holy Spirit and all those things. They're saved. I mean, you get the Holy Spirit, you belong to Him. You don't need nothing else. But these Judaizers come down. They're trying to make Jews out of them. They come down and say, look, I know you got the Holy Spirit, but that's not enough. That's not sufficient. You're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to keep these holy days. You're going to have to keep these Sabbath days. You're going to have to, have to keep these feast days. You're going to, have to, you're going to have to keep all these things if you're going to be completely saved. Your faith in Christ, it is insufficient. It is not enough. And they purposefully preached to these Gentiles that faith alone in Christ was not sufficient for salvation. And they took the Bible and did it too because all they had was the Old Testament at that time, right? And so they would take the Old Testament and point at what Moses said and what the law said. Can I tell you, hey, look up here. Just because somebody's got a verse, that doesn't mean they're right. You know there's people that'll twist the Bible to say what they want it to mean. How many of you know that is what Moses said? Moses did talk about the law. There is circumcision in the Old Testament for the people of God. There is all these things. But there's actually kind of been something new that's happened since all that was written. Amen. All that's been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were leaving that part out. So they took the Old Testament. They were confusing these Gentiles, right? They're just saved. Paul wasn't with them very long. They're kind of wobbly in doctrine just a little bit. And Paul is... Acts 15. You read Acts 15. He didn't like that stuff very much when it was going on in Antioch. He sure enough didn't like it here. Just You say, how do you know Paul didn't like it? Well, look at what he called them in verse 2. <laughs> he called them dogs. He said a bunch of dogs. They had reduced... Now listen to this. They had reduced salvation and a relationship with God down to nothing more than just keeping a set of rules. Nothing more than just checking off a checklist. Can I tell you? Now listen, I've already said it and I want to highlight it again. Here's repetition that'll keep you safe. You Ready? That is always a mark of false religion. They're always focused on the external. They're always trying to ch- trying to emphasize the external. Here's the main difference. If you get this, you get the point of this passage right here. Paul says these people, they're always trying to emphasize the external. He said, but God, change, real salvation changes a man on the inside. Religion can put new Sunday clothes on a man, but only salvation can put a new man inside Sunday clothes. Amen. That's the difference. That's the difference. God is interested in changing you from the inside out. Religion just wants to try to change you from the outside in. It tries us to clean up the outside. Maybe circumcision, keep this law, do this and do that. And it tries to do all these things and hope maybe some way it works its way on the inside. But Jesus, when He saves a man, He comes and He lives on the inside. He moves in on the inside and it changes the outside from the inside. Amen. That's why some people, you can fuss at them, you can yell at them, you can holler at them, you can scream at them. Listen, they ain't never going to change on the outside till they get something real on the inside. Amen. You can scream at them, you're blue in the face, you can preach to them, you can write nasty letters and you can say whatever you want about it, but until God moves on the inside, ain't nothing going to change on the outside. Amen. And even if they did conform to some standard on the outside, it wouldn't last and it wouldn't bring joy and it would not bring any kind of real change in their life. It'd just be like putting lipstick on a pig is all it is. Amen. Amen. still a pig. You can put makeup on it if you want. You can put a jewel in its snout if you want to. It's still a pig. You have not changed what it is. Amen. That's the main difference. That's who Paul's talking about. Let, let me get... All right, finally, my brethren. You ready? Let's get to some, let's get to some points here. Real quick, real quick. Hey, Paul notes that I want to point out a couple things what Paul says about false religion. Number one, I want to point this out, the identifications of false religion. And I've really already said that, but let me highlight how Paul puts it in verse number two. And I want you to notice how Paul defines them. He defines them as dogs. He defines them as evil workers. He defines them as the concision. Every single one of those things is a slap into the face to these Judaizers, these who claim to be the people of God because of their heritage and their circumcision and all those things. He called them dogs. You see that? Beware of dogs. Now, I hate to tell you, I know there's some dog lovers in here, probably about everybody in here. You probably, dog- I'm not a dog lover. I don't like dogs. It's not that I necessarily don't like dogs. I just don't like responsibility. Amen. I don't- the joy that they bring me is not worth the trouble that they are to keep up with. All right. My kids barely break even. All right. So the Dogs, no, I'm just kidding. But the dogs, uh, man, I just that's just not my thing. I'm just not a dog. But if you are, God bless you. But he's not talking about, don't we think about dogs? We think about, you know, little... Yeah, Fido and 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 look, you know, little spot, you know, or whatever. And we love him and, and and we just love that dog, and he's part of the family, and he's domesticated and just so cute and sweet. That's not what Paul had in mind when he said that. In fact, through the Bible, really dogs are not really given in a in a good light. So I do have Bible reasons for some of my convictions, but uh they're not really they're not really uh given in a good light. Dogs are people that are outside. That's what Revelation twenty-two said, without are dogs that 's what the Jews called gentiles right called them a bunch of dogs dogs were they in these days they weren 't domesticated pets, nobody had a dog as pets, not necessarily, but the the, the more usual uh, thought of a dog was something that was unclean. It's impure. It's nasty. They they roamed around the cities in packs and they would bark and bite and go through trash and eat nasty things and they carried diseases around and all kind of stuff. Really not much different than a lot of the stuff they do today but there is but there is some. And they're just nasty. Just nasty. And I'm going to tell you what. Dogs are still nasty in a lot of ways. They eat things. You know dogs will return to their own vomit, right? You know that. That's what the Bible says. I mean they'll, they'll just hog it up up and eat it again you know if that's making you sick i'm sorry you don't want to have a dog i ain't got a dog I man you the one, man it, and it licks things and it licks things and it just licks all kind of things and and then when you come home it jumps up in your lap <laughs> licks all over your face because it's glad to see you listen look up here you nasty you nasty. All right? That's disgusting. But anyway, that's another mess for another. But this, when he said dogs, this was not a compliment. All right? This was a put down. He's saying this is something that is bad. This is unclean. This is impure. And this is, uh, this is exposing the nature of false religion. It is unclean. It is impure. He called them evil workers. This exposed their lifestyle. Uh, they had confidence in their flesh and who they are to get them to heaven. And so, of course, if you put confidence in the flesh, you're going to get fleshly things happening. And one of the things about those Pharisees Jesus called out time and time again was their hypocrisy. They were evil workers. In fact, one day at the judgment seat of Christ, a slew of them will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, and He'll say, or at the Great White Throne judgment, they'll, they'll stand at, at His judgment seat there, the Great White Throne judgment, and they'll say, "I cast out devils, and I've done many wonderful works." And He said, "Depart from me, ye that work what iniquity. I never knew you." Jesus said, "That's how you'll know a false teacher." Is that Matthew seven? That's how you'll point them out by their fruits. You'll know them. They work evil. And then he calls them the concision. Now, that's an interesting word. The concision. This exposed their, their, their empty religion, the emptiness of their religion. Concision. Here's what that word means, concision. You ready? It just means mutilation. That's what it means. Mutilation. To cut the flesh. Mutilation of the flesh. You see, the thing was, they were trying to get everybody to be circumcised, right? All the males, the Gentiles, you got to be circumcised. you got to have this cutting of the flesh if you're going to be right with God. And Paul says, hold on just a second. Y'all have the cutting of the flesh and you're not right with God. And what he's saying is, that circumcision, I don't have time to go into a whole thing about that, but all it was, it was an outward sign of an inward reality that they were the people of God. God wanted them to do that on the outside, but He really was more concerned with their heart. That's why He says in Exodus and Deuteronomy and other places, He was concerned about the circumcision of their heart. He wanted that wickedness to be cut off, to be put away. The filthiness of the flesh. We read about it in Sunday school this morning. He wasn't interested in necessarily the flesh. God was interested in giving them a new heart and putting His Spirit inside of them and doing things on the outside. That's the difference between false religion and real religion. False religion is just a show on the outside. Real religion is a change on the inside. So here's what Paul was saying. Listen, you've circumcised yourself, but... You're still lost. He said, when that happens, you're doing nothing but mutilating your flesh. It doesn't mean anything. It's like baptism without believing in the Lord, on the Lord Jesus Christ. That just makes you wet. That's all it does. It's like communion without believing on the Lord and trusting in His death and and, and His resurrection. It's like taking communion. It's just a symbol is all it is. But if you don't, you know what that means? That means you just took some grape juice and ate some crackers. That's all that happened. There's nothing more than that. And that's exactly... He said, you're just the mutilators. You're 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 just a bunch of... You're like those that cut their flesh for the dead like wicked... Pagans is all you are. If it's not real on the inside, then what you're doing on the outside don't count. It doesn't matter. Amen. And listen, you can go to church. You can be a member. You can get dunked in every baptismal pool. You can do everything you want to do. You can even be a pastor. You can be a deacon. You can be a a song leader. You can be a whatever you want to be. But it does not matter if it's not real on the inside. That's what he's saying. He said they're dogs. They're impure. They're evil workers. They do evil things. And he, says, and he says it's just the concision. They're just the mutilation. They're just mutilating their flesh. It doesn't mean anything in the sight of God. Number two, not only the indications of false religion, but these things also show us the inability of false religion the inability of false religion. See these descriptions that he gives in verse number 2, they really expose the powerlessness of every false religion. They cannot change you. Okay, and I've already made that very clear. False religion religion seeks to conform you outside and hope hope that maybe some way it'll work its way inside, but true religion will change a man from the inside out. He called them dogs. You know he's talking about he's talking about their nature. Can I tell you something about false religion? It cannot change your nature. It cannot change your nature. False religion cannot change who you are. It may change for a time what you do. It may change for a time how you look. It might change for a time the people you hang out with, but it cannot change who you are on the inside. Only Jesus can do that. Therefore, if any man be what? In Christ. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And listen, you can try and try and try, but you will never change your nature. A dog will always return back to its vomit. Why? Because it's a dog. Amen. When you get saved, you become a sheep. Hey, man. You're not a goat anymore. You're not a dog anymore. You're not an unclean animal anymore. You are a part of His fold and only true salvation can change your very nature. See, you're at a center not just because of what you do, but you're at a center because of who you are. Your very nature is a center. And that's the difference between saved and lost. A pig loves the mud by nature. It loves the mud. It loves to get in it. You know, a pig, a sheep may may see some mud and and, and look at it and say, you know uh, maybe that looks fun and they may get in it just for a minute and think whoa this is this is nice but it doesn't take long for that sheep to realize this is uncomfortable this is not consistent with who I am this is not where I want to be and they start calling out for the shepherd and can I tell you say people we still sin don't we Amen. Hey, man yeah that's right but we ain't comfortable in it because that's not our nature anymore man it, there's something we know there's something inside of us that says this ain't where I want to be well that pig when he sees the mud hole he says and he runs over there and he just jumps right on in and says, Woo! Man, it's good to be here. And it loves it. And you can get it out and you can wash it up and you can put a little curl in its tail, a little bow in its hair and you can, oh man, that is some pig right there. You can have Charlotte make a web in the corner that says some pig somewhere. And you can do whatever you want but at the end of the day, listen, it's a pig. And as soon as you turn your back, as soon as you, it's going to run for the mud. Amen. And I don't care. You can pay $4,000 for a dog and you can have all these things you want. But listen, at the end of the day, it's still a dog. And dogs do doggy things. Amen. Let me tell you what, false religion can. It cannot change your nature. It can't change your behavior. He called them evil workers. False religion cannot change your behavior. Only salvation can deliver a man from the power of sin in his life. Call, clean him up. Cause him to live righteously. He called on the concision. It can't change your relationship status with God. False religion will never put you in the family of God. God only accepts one way. That's through total, complete faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on Calvary. False religion has never took one man to heaven. But it sure has doomed a many man and woman to hell. The inability of false religion, the the, uh, identifications of false religion. One more and I'm done. Let me say something about the independence from false religion. How do you get free from false religion? Well, that's verse number three. Not necessarily the how, but what does it look like when you are free? What, 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 what do people that are free? What are people that are really, truly born again? What do they look like? See, here's what Paul says, verse three. We're the circumcision. And I don't have time to expound all that. But what Paul's saying is, we are truly the people of God. They think, because of some outside show, that they're the people of God. But Paul said, no, we're actually the real people of God. He deals with that in Romans as well. Romans 2, I think it is about those that are Jews and those that are not Jews and all that kind of stuff. But what he's saying, what it boils down to is this. Is he saying that we are truly the people of God. Who are truly? Who are truly? Listen to me, and I'm about done. Finally, my brethren, all right? This really is the final point. But I don't mean I'm going to be done here in a minute, but it is the final point. What does somebody who truly have been set free from false religion, what does true religion look like? Where does it go? Well, he gives three things. See, he gives three descriptions in verse number two of false religion. He gives three descriptions of true religion in verse number three. You see that? He said, we're the circumcision. Here it is, which worship God in the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that's not a capital S spirit. It's a lowercase s spirit. What is the emphasis of true religion? It's the inside. It's not the outside. It's the inside. Of course, we can't help read that and think about the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. John 4, right? As soon as the woman figured out he's some kind of a prophet or some kind of a spiritual man, she immediately wants to talk about worship all of a sudden. That's usually how it is when you talk to somebody. They find out you're a preacher. And they want to, oh, you know, well, you know, my grandmother, she went to church somewhere and they want to talk about spiritual things then. And so, uh, so they talk about worship. And she said, we want to bring up, Jesus. you know, Jesus is a Jew, she's a Samaritan, she's a half-breed. So, you know, we, we, we believe you ought to worship on this mountain. The Jews say you ought to worship in Jerusalem and, and, and so we just can't get together. We're not going to agree on that. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't even know what you worship. That's the first thing you got to do. Before you can really worship God, you got to know who He is. That's called truth. And when you worship, you got to worship in truth. If you don't know the true and living God, you're not worshiping. You can sing the songs and you can can pray the prayers and you can preach the messages and you can do all that. But if you don't know God, you're not worshiping God. You getting that? It's got to be in truth. Then he said, before truth, worship God in what? Spirit. Answered. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. Lowercase s. That means it's an inside job. Listen, worshiping God is not getting up and giving a testimony. That can be part of it, but that's not ultimately. That's not where it starts and that's not what it is. It's not singing a song. It's not giving a tithe. It's not going to Sunday school. Worshiping God is on the inside. So we may look up here and see a choir full of people. Say, man, look at all those worshipers. But when God looks down, I don't know how many worshipers He sees. I don't know. He's a spirit. I'm not. I I, I mean, I have a body. I'm limited. We're all in bodies right here. I can't see, but God sees the inside. Who are those that are truly saved? Who's those that have true religion? Those that worship God on the inside. Spirit. Those that rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's boasting and bragging, not on ourselves, but on what? What He's done. That's those that stand up and say, or in your heart, you say when you worship God, I ain't nothing, but I'm just a sinner, I man, I'm just messed up, I ain't got anything. But Jesus is so wonderful, and He's so glorious, and He's so faithful, and He's so holy, and He's so great. That is what true religion does. That's what true worship is. And then it's those that have no confidence in. The flesh, that's the exact opposite of what these false teachers were trying to get this crowd to do, wasn't it? Do something in your flesh and let that be... Listen, you could... Yeah, yeah, you believe... It's faith, but it's faith and flesh together. No. If it's faith and something, then it's not faith alone. And only faith alone saves. It cannot be faith and something else. Our salvation has nothing to do with our flesh. It's not about you. It's not about how much money you give. It's not about how many old ladies you walk across the street. It's not about charities. I don't care how many how many little Ethiopians you're feeding across the water. I, it doesn't matter. All those are good things. I'm not saying those are bad things, but I'm just saying you can't count on that to get you to heaven. It's not Hail Marys. It's not rosary beads. It's not lighting candles. It's not it's it's not reciting something and all. It's not all this stuff. False religion peddles on people you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Quit doing something and put your faith and your trust in me. Miss Maddie, you can come around the piano. It's not based on the works of man, the accomplishments of man, the heritage of man. But it's God seeing that helpless individual cry out and realize... They need Him. They need His salvation. They cry out by faith. And God in His good grace, He comes in and He changes the inside. And He does a work on the inside. And Paul said, and he's going to get to this in the next couple... And we'll look at it next week, Lord willing. He said, Paul said, my personal testimony, he said, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, he said, it should be me. Look at all these things I've done. Look at everything I've done. He said, but all of it, I realized one day... <laughs> Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, and when he saw Jesus, get this, he saw Jesus and he couldn't see nothing else. And that's the best way you can get. He saw Jesus and he couldn't see nothing else. He couldn't see his pedigree. He couldn't see his diplomas. He couldn't see his education. He couldn't see his heritage. He couldn't see his associations. He couldn't see any of those things. He saw Jesus and he immediately couldn't see anything else. And would to God we would be blind to everything except the Son of God. It is Him and Him only that saves. And you must put faith and trust in Him or you, if you're trusting in anything else, anything else, listen, you have become and you are a victim of false religion. And false religion will never take you to heaven. So my question is this, do you have the real thing? Do you God, is it real? Is it real? Are you willing to die right now with what you have? Are you willing to meet God right now with what you're trusting in? To get you to heaven. If you're not, I'll tell you, if it was me, I'll tell you what I would do. I'd find a place on this altar or a place in my pew or whatever I had to do and I would make things, I would, I would make sure I would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he said? He said, all you got to do is call on me. You know what he'll do? He'll save you. That's it. That's it. You, you, what, what do you mean? I don't have to do, no, no, no. You call on him. You put your faith and trust in him. Confess. That means say this, everything that we, He says, say the same thing. I agree with all you've said about me and about salvation. I agree with all of it. I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Put your faith and trust in Him. He's not, and He's not even literally listening for the words. He's not looking for some kind of action. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the spirit. He's looking at what's on the inside. Some of y'all probably got saved before you ever went to the altar. As soon as you stood up, that heart bent toward the Lord. That faith was exercised just by standing up. And God saved you right there. I don't know your testimony, but I just know God looks at the heart. He'll save you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. It don't matter. Religion will never save you. Quit trying. Quit trying to please God. You'll never do it. The good news is Jesus already came and He already did. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Put your faith and trust in Him. He's already pleased God. Believe on what he's already done. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together all over the building.